Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Over 100 people have been killed as a result of protests in Peru. On Saturday, January 21st, thousands of protesters marched in Lima, Peru's capital, where they were met with tear gas and other violence by police. Also, Riot police invaded a local university, including the living quarters of the students, and violently attacked student and social leaders. Let's hear some sound now from what protesters faced in Lima, Peru. They live far from the center of power, but thousands of Peruvians are attempting to reach the capital to call for the resignation of President Dina Bulwate. They accuse the former vice president of being a political usurper with no legitimate claim to the office. Police are blocking the roads to Lima, where the government has declared a state of emergency. But the protesters remain defiant. We're on our way, but nevertheless, we've found that they're trying to stop us. The police are surely under the command of the current usurping president, Dina Baluarte. Our rights are being abused. We won't give up. We're going to get there no matter what, even if it is on foot. We have our corn and our cheese, and we can eat here, but we will go to Congress to close it down and to oust Ms. Dina, the usurper, because they've killed us. A wave of demonstrations have rippled across the country after former President Pedro Castillo was ousted in December. Currently in custody, he was arrested on charges of rebellion and conspiracy after trying to take power in what the Constitutional Court called an attempted coup. Despite weeks of violence that has left dozens of people dead, Bulwate is standing firm, refusing to step down. But with a slew of cabinet resignations and allegations of excessive force being used against demonstrators continuing to mount, Bulwate faces a monumental battle to regain control of the civil unrest and the support of a divided country.
in particular in indigenous regions continue. The government has shut the international tourist destination of Machu Picchu because of the unrest. What's behind the protests? What are protesters demanding? What divisions in the country have been revealed in the protests? And time is running out to stop the release of genetically engineered trees into wild forests. What is the role, if any, of biotechnology in preserving the forests? What are the forces behind pushing genetically engineered trees? Where around the globe do GE trees exist? Some say that GE American chestnut trees will save that species which has been decimated by blight. But in saving the chestnut, the American chestnut, will it destroy the natural forests? What is the price to pay? What are the wider implications? Our guest is Ann Peterman, Executive Director of the Global Justice Ecology Project. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. Two more mass shootings of hit California one day after a gunman killed 10 people, then himself in Monterey Park. This time in the northern part of the state, two mass shootings have left at least eight dead in Half Moon Bay and Oakland. Seven people were killed in Half Moon Bay yesterday. The San Mateo County Sheriff's Office says 67-year-old Chun Li Zhao is in custody as a suspect in the shooting, the second senior citizen suspected of a mass shooting in the state and to use a semi-automatic gun. San Mateo County Sheriff Christina Corpus. Zhao was taken into custody without incident and a semi-automatic handgun was located in his vehicle. Zhao is believed to have acted alone and there is no further threat to this community. This is a devastating tragedy for this community and the families touched by this unspeakable act of violence. She says four people were found dead, one critically wounded from gunshots mid-afternoon. Three others were found dead at a business several miles away. The connection is unclear. She says he worked for at least one of them. Both locations were agricultural businesses. San Mateo County Supervisor President David Pine called for greater gun control. In, in the days and the weeks ahead of us, we really have to come together and figure out how to go ahead and wrap our arms around getting uh, getting. Uh, to address this problem of gun violence, which has afflicted our state here in recent, recent days and has afflicted us here at home. In Oakland last night, a mass shooting left one dead and seven injured. Meanwhile, new details have emerged about the Monterey Park mass shooting in Southern California. Max Pringle reports. Investigators searching the home of a suspected gunman, Hu Can Tran, said they found a rifle, 
hundreds of rounds of ammunition, and evidence he was manufacturing gun silencers in his home. Los Angeles County Sheriff Robert Luna told reporters that investigators are still looking for a motive behind the shooting at a Lunar New Year celebration at a Monterey Park dance hall. Our job is to collect every shred of this awful puzzle that has been laid out by this suspect. So work in progress. The 72-year-old Tran fired 42 rounds in all at the Star Ballroom Dance Studio. Authorities said it was the deadliest mass shooting in L.A. County history. Police in the Los Angeles County community of Hemet said Tran had visited the police department twice this month to report that he'd been the victim of fraud, theft, and poisoning by family members more than two decades ago. He promised to return with evidence, but never did. For KPFA News, I'm Max Pringle. President Joe Biden released a statement this morning sending prayers for those killed and injured in what he called a senseless act of gun violence, and he urged an assault weapons ban. He said yesterday California Senator Dianne Feinstein, alongside Senators Chris Murphy and Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut and others, reintroduced a federal assault weapons ban and legislation that would raise the minimum purchase age for assault weapons to 21. He called on lawmakers to pass them. California has had four mass shootings in seven days. A mass shooting also took place yesterday in Chicago. Two were killed and three injured. And in Des Moines, Iowa, a young man, 18 years of age, shot and killed two other teens at a school for at-risk youth. The Gun Violence Archives has documented 39 mass shootings so far this year. Attorneys for the family of a black motorist who died after a violent encounter with Memphis police say officers beat Tyree Nichols for three minutes in a savage encounter reminiscent of the infamous 1991 police beating of Los Angeles motorist Rodney King. Attorneys and family privately viewed body cam footage of Nichols killing yesterday and spoke after. Here's family attorney Tony Rappanu. He was a human pinata for those police officers. It was an unadulterated, unabashed, nonstop beating of this young boy for three minutes. Oh my God. That is what we saw in that video. Family attorney Ben Crump said the police body camera video showed Nichols was shocked, pepper sprayed, and restrained. After he was pulled over on January 7th, the police department fired five officers who were involved. All five were black. A Georgia judge will consider making public the special grand jury report in Donald Trump's quest to overturn the state's presidential election results in 2020. Trial over whether to release the report is scheduled for today. The special grand jury did not have the power to issue in indictments, and it will ultimately be up to Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis to decide whether to seek an indictment and prosecute. The judge could redact some of the report if he makes it public. Willis began investigating meddling in the state's elections after a recording went public of Trump urging Georgia Secretary of State to find the votes needed to overturn his loss to Democrat Joe Biden. Four members of the Oath Keepers extremist group were convicted of seditious conspiracy in the January 6th Capitol attack in a second major trial of far-right extremists accused of plotting to forcibly keep President Donald Trump in power. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. 
All righty. This is Margaret Prescott. Apologies to all of our listeners and to our guests. We've been having all kinds of technical difficulties this morning, so we're going to revamp the show a bit. And our guest, Ann Peterman, I hope you'll be able to stay with us um, a bit past our um, station break so that we can make this time up. Our topic, we're talking about genetically engineered trees. Um, There is a threat that GE trees may be released uh, very shortly into wild forests in the United States. Now, U.S. forests are already facing challenges that threaten their health and their existence, including deforestation through illegal logging, large-scale commercial agriculture, uh, catastrophic wildfires, insect and disease outbreaks, invasive uh, species, housing development, fragment uh, uh, forest fragmentation and drought. And now we have to face this issue of biotechnology and GE trees. And Peterman, welcome and thank you so very much for your patience with us. Thank you, Margaret. I, I appreciate you having me on. Okay. Um, so, and Peterman, there's a deadline uh, coming up in relation to GE trees. Tell us when that deadline is and how urgent the situation is, Ann Peterman. Sure, thank you. Yes, the uh, the USDA is has put out a draft environmental impact statement on this petition that was submitted by researchers that is asking permission to deregulate, in other words, have no laws regarding um, the distribution of a genetically engineered uh, chestnut tree, American chestnut tree. And um, the deadline for, for commenting on this draft environmental impact statement, which in fact has a draft decision recommending approval of the release of these genetically engineered American chestnut trees into our wild forests without any regulation, without any monitoring or anything. That deadline is this Thursday at midnight. So Thursday, the 26th of, Ju- of January at midnight, people have midnight Eastern, people have um, uh, the opportunity to submit comments to the USDA. And it's a, it's a major um, concern, this idea of releasing genetically engineered trees into wild forests all by itself is a problem. But when you talk about doing it without any kind of follow-up or monitoring, it's an extremely dangerous uh, proposition. It could be what's been called a massive irreversible experiment with our forests. Now, Ann Peterman, let me ask you this. I mean, last week we did an in-depth discussion with uh, some folks in uh, southern Illinois trying to protect the Shawnee National Forest. And in that discussion, we talked about life within the forest, Uh, not only the trees that we see, right, but also life underneath the ground. And we talked about the book, Finding the Mother Tree, where a lot of uh, that research um, was discussed. Now, Ann Peterman, you know, it seems to me as though releasing a GE tree into the forest, we have no idea the impact it will have on the ecosystem that we can see above ground, but also the ecosystem below ground. Tell us about the concerns on the impact on the ecosystem in the forest itself, and Peterman. That's exactly right. Um, and the thing is that we have to remember the research that was submitted by the um, 
by the researchers who are who are asking for this permission was they had risk assessments that were included in that that were supposed to look at some of these possible um, issues. For example, what would be the impact of of uh, pollinators like bumblebees eating or using the genetically engineered pollen? And the fact of the matter is um, they didn't have enough genetically engineered pollen to make that determination. So they just used non-GMO uh, American chestnut pollen that they mixed up with some of the enzyme that the genetically engineered trees will be producing and said that that's fine. That, that's that's good enough. We can see that there. And then they said there were no impacts on the on the, the bumblebees. So, you know, we have these these researchers who think that it's equivalent to mix, you know, mix up some uh, pollen with some enzyme and say that that's the same as a genetically engineered transformation. Uh, that That's extremely troubling. Um, and then you had the USDA looking at this petition and trying to make a decision about it when uh, a panel of researchers with the National Academy of Sciences found that the USDA does not have the tools or experience to make a decision like this. This is completely out of their um, realm of uh, possibility as far as making a good decision. So we have a, an agency that doesn't know what they're doing, evaluating a petition with inadequate research. And, and you know, and the petition is recommending that this go ahead. Um, and as you said, the, the possible impacts on the forest ecosystem, the entirety of the forest um, is, is not known at all. The long-term impacts are not even understood, not much less documented. Um, the trees that they did the research on had been outside in field trials, outside of the lab in field trials for only three years. These are little seedlings that they did these, this research on. And they're saying that they know um, based on the information they got from researching these little seedlings in an out, a very controlled outdoor field trial, that they know exactly what will happen when they release these trees into wild forest ecosystems, trees that can live 200 years or more. And the, the area where they want to release them, the historic range of this tree is all the way from Maine to Georgia. So we're talking about a huge number of different forest ecosystems. And they the, the fact of the matter is they don't have any idea. They have no idea, they have no documentation of what will happen if these trees are released into these forests. And that's why we're saying, you know, no, this has got to stop. This has to be rejected, this petition. It's it's way too premature, even if you want to say that maybe someday that, you know, this science could be, um, could be safe, which I personally don't happen to agree with. Uh, even if you believe that this is premature, you know, they don't have enough research to say what's going to happen with these genetically engineered trees out in wild forests. They just have no idea. Yeah. And, and also on people, I mean, you talked about the GE pollen and not really knowing the impact on bees, but for people like myself and others who have asthma and, and various lung issues, I mean, who knows when you've got uh, pollen from uh, an entity that hasn't existed in the world before, right? And you're now having to, to breathe that in. But uh, Ann Peterman, just um, tell us a bit, let's dig a little bit into this American chestnut 
uh, problem because the American chestnut, the beloved American chestnut, decimated right um, by um, some uh, you know something that has been destroying it uh, for for a while, and uh, people are using the excuse of uh, creating a GE American chestnut as a way of saving the American chestnut, but. You know, it really begs the question of, is it really worth it? Is it worth it to try to save this particular species by perhaps infecting and setting loose, right, in a wild forest, entities, trees, um, uh, and I put that in quotes, uh, that for the first time is being exposed uh, to those of us living in the United States. And Peterman, what about the fans of the American chestnut? Well, one thing that people need to keep in mind with the American chestnut, uh, first of all, is an introduced blight because of unchecked globalization that um, released this this blight from Japan, it's believed, that uh, infected many trees and killed a lot of trees in the eastern U.S., but on top of that, there was also cr incredibly unsustainable logging going on, and people seem to forget about that part of it. Um, so it wasn't just the blight, it was the blight combined with massive logging campaigns, some of which were being done to control the blight. So ironically, people were trying to save the chestnut by creating these, what they called like fire breaks, you know, cutting down huge numbers of trees that may have had uh, resistance to the blight, right? So they cut down, you know, enormous numbers of healthy trees in the uh, in the idea that they would stop this blight from spreading. So who knows what impact human behavior had on causing the blight to be uh, so destructive. But the, the yeah. other thing that we need to keep in mind is that the trees are actually already being restored. Wild American chestnuts are already being restored without use of hybridization, without use of genetic engineering without any of these extreme uh, extreme or you know hybridization technologies um, they're coming back there's a naturalist named Bernd Heinrich who recently published a paper about he planted four uh, American, wild American chestnuts on his land in Maine in the 80s and he now has documented over a thousand um, American chestnuts growing on his land, um, spreading yes. themselves. He hasn't been planting them. The blue jays and the squirrels have been planting them. So, you know, it's the, the, the restoration is happening. People just have to give it a little more time and be a little bit less, you know, anxious about getting it out right this minute. Right. And, you know, following the, the money trail, I mean, you're, you're so right. This is so alarming to me because we know also, you know, birds, they migrate, um, you know, from one area to the next. And who knows then how far this these genetically engineered trees will go uh, because the birds will pick up and, and will pollinate, you know, will drop the seeds in, in other areas. But, and let's follow the money trail a little bit. We know there's the American Chestnut Foundation, okay? So they, um, you know, what they say is they want to preserve uh, the chestnut tree. But as you say, um, somebody's growing a thousand of them, you know, without using uh, GE trees. But what about Arbor Gen? 
Morgan and Monsanto, which is now uh, Bayer, uh, Duke Energy. And also there's a huge company out of Brazil, from what I, I understand, that are, are very much um, interested in getting into this genetically engineered trees business. Tell us about um, this corporate threat to wild forests and Peterman. Sure. And yeah, that's something that people need to keep in mind when they think about using genetic engineering with the American chestnut. Where did this idea come from? It did not come from chestnut enthusiasts. It came from the timber industry and it came from the biotechnology industry. And they talked about there's there's documented records of them talking about taking back the American chestnut using genetic engineering, using it as a test tree, quote unquote, a test tree. They've also called it a poster tree. So they very much understood the the uh, benefit of using the American chestnut, this beloved iconic tree, as a public relations tool to try to get people to be less opposed to GE trees and be able to accept some uses of GE trees, which would then open the doors to the commercial use of GE trees, either American chestnuts in a commercial way or the other um, plantation trees like pines and eucalyptus and poplars, which are also being developed with genetic engineering, but have not had the great advantage that the American chestnut has has had in terms of public relations. People don't like the idea of genetically engineered plantation trees. So the American chestnut has been used to try to create a wedge in that opposition um, to some degree of success. And so people need to think about that. Who, where did the money come from? So early funding came from Arborgen and Monsanto. Early funding came from Duke Energy, who want the American chestnut for uh, biomass burning, right? For, to, to feed wood pellet mills, for lumber, for, um, you know, carbon offset forestry, which is this whole other um, false solution to climate change. And, uh, you know, so we have industry putting a lot of money into the American chestnut and we have the American chestnut researchers trying very hard to distance themselves from that money, even though there's a there has been a retired Monsanto scientist working pro bono in the lab with um, the researchers to help them move this process along in the development of the genetically engineered American chestnut tree. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of money behind this. And as you pointed out, it's not just in the United States. This company, Susano in Brazil, is very actively um, developing a genetically engineered eucalyptus tree that has been modified so that it tolerates inundations with the toxic herbicide glyphosate. I think a lot of people are familiar with glyphosate from all of the, the cancer lawsuits against Monsanto. Um, so they've now made these trees that are have been genetically engineered to tolerate being sprayed with these this herbicide glyphosate, which means what it meant in the, the case of GMO crops was that the amount of this herbicide that was sprayed on those crops increased anywhere from three to six hundred percent. So enormous increases in the use of this herbicide, uh, which of course has contributed most likely to all of these cancers. Um, so Susano has gotten permission from the Brazilian government to commercially produce these GE eucalyptus trees, but they have not done so yet because they don't have markets for them. And that's a whole nother story, but they need to um, get these 
genetically engineered trees certified by the Forest Stewardship Council so they can open up markets for them. And until they do that, until they get the FSC to overturn this 20-year-old ban on genetically engineered trees, until they do that, they don't have a market for those GE trees. So that's a, that's a good thing, of course. Um, but we do have to be worried about the American chestnut creating the GE American chestnut, creating a um, uh, an example of you know, a positive quote unquote use of genetic engineering that will be used by industry to try to push forward these other very destructive genetically engineered trees. Right. And Peterman, we're going to have to pause for station break now. Uh, please stay with us because we want to continue this discussion. Uh, also, later in the hour, we'll be talking about the crisis in Peru as protests continue and the international tourist site of Machu Picchu has been shut down as a result of that. But stay with us. We'll be right back. While you can Come closer and see See into the dark Just follow your eyes Just follow your eyes
You can like and friend us on Facebook. Just look for Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott. We are heard nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud today. We'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the great state of Vermont and internationally to our SoundCloud listeners in Brazil. We are discussing um, the threat of genetically engineered uh, trees that may be released, if you would believe this, into wild forests. And our guest is Anne Peterman, Executive Director of the Global Justice Ecology Project. But before we return to Anne, let us go now to our weekly Earth Minute. The United States Department of Agriculture is considering the unprecedented decision to allow a genetically engineered tree to be released into the wild with the intent of spreading and contaminating its wild relatives. Researchers are pushing to release this genetically engineered chestnut tree into wild forests, even though it has only been growing in controlled field trials for five years, yet could live more than 200 years. Experts warn that it is a dangerous and irreversible experiment. Dr. Paul Sisko, a plant geneticist, formerly on staff with the American Chestnut Foundation, stated that there should be 50 years of testing given that the trees can live so long. Dr. Sisko also noted that since only young trees have been tested, they do not know what will happen to the genetically engineered trait as the tree ages, including potential unintended side effects on the trees nor do they know the risk posed by the trees to other organisms or the forest itself. Clearly, precaution is needed, and the United States Department of Agriculture needs to reject this dangerous plan. The public comment period ends on January 26th. To learn more or to make a comment, go to stopgetrees.org slash stop dash ge dash trees. For the Earth Minute, and the Sojourner Truth Show. This is Steve Taylor from Global Justice Ecology Project. All righty, and our weekly Earth Minute and uh, waiting in the wings to continue this really important discussion that uh, really uh, has to do with what wild forests could look like um, in the future or a, a, a threat, a new threat to wild forests is Anne Peterman, Executive Director of the Global Justice Ecology Project. But I'm wondering if we could play um, a clip now. Um, I'd wanted to play it earlier, a clip now on uh, GE Trees. And this is something, by the way, you could get information on the Global Justice Ecology Project. Are we able to play that clip right now? concept of genetically engineered trees was to have trees do things that they can't do in nature. For example, you know, trees that have the ability to kill insects. Right now there's a there's a, a pending proposal that would be the first GMO plant ever, in this case a genetically engineered tree, that would be allowed to be released into wild forests, directly into wild forests, with the intent of contaminating its native wild relatives. This isn't science fiction. There are currently hundreds Perhaps thousands of test plots of GE trees already being grown in the open around the world. My name is David Suzuki. I am, by training and profession, a geneticist. We study the genetics of organisms by breeding a male and a female of one species, looking at their offspring and breeding them through what is called vertical inheritance within a species. When you take a gene from one species, 
and transfer that DNA into a totally unrelated species, that's a completely different kind of experiment. This is now called horizontal inheritance. We've never done that before, and it is absolutely bad science to say that we can look at vertical inheritance and use the same ideas to explain what goes on in horizontal experiments. It's just lousy science. genetically engineered trees a lot of our people say there's really no life to that tree there's no spirit to that tree it's already been corrupted you are going to inject genes that are not part of nature it's not it's not how nature has developed itself you're interfering in nature you're, you're, you're going beyond the limit and that's what I think is a very serious thing in GE trees and we don't know what will happen. We don't know about the risks. So we are playing with nature and that's unacceptable. But with genetically modified organisms such as trees, you cannot retract them. Once they are out there, where are you going to find them if they have gone into the forest? Where are you going to find them if they have spilled down the river and gone to the neighboring country. What the hell is the rush to apply these ideas that we're getting? We're still at the bare beginning of understanding of what we're doing. The rush to apply these ideas is absolutely dangerous because we don't have a clue what the long-term impact of our manipulations is going to be. Absolutely. We don't have a clue. Um, our guest is and Peterman, and this is uh, discussing an issue that should be of concern to all of us. Um, on Sojourner Truth, we have covered uh, quite a bit historically um, the impact of uh, GE crops, okay? And the fact of uh, GE seeds dominated by Monsanto, now owned by Bayer, uh, spreading across um, farms that didn't even want to use the seeds, and then they were sued by Monsanto um, for using their seeds illegally. We saw the problems and we've covered the problems uh, that emerged in India um, where farmers were literally committing suicide because they weren't able to afford um, the, um, the genetically engineered seeds. And now uh, some of these same corporations are getting into the business of genetically engineered trees, okay? And uh, using the concern about the decimation of the American chestnut as the excuse to release a genetically engineered American chestnut into wild forests in the United States. And our guest is Ann Peterman, Executive Director of the Global Justice Ecology Project. We're uh, digging uh, deep uh, into it. By the way, Anne, our Peru guest is ha having some issues, um, which is good uh, from your perspective because we have a bit more time to dig a bit deeper into the issues with genetically engineered trees. But to put this in some uh, context here and tell us if any genetically engineered trees exist now, and where are they? Are they in wild forests anywhere else? Are they more contained, I understand? And, and what are the other uh, GE trees besides, in addition to the American chestnut and Peterman? 
Sure, thanks. The American chestnut is unique in that it would be the first, not only the first genetically engineered tree, but the first GMO plant anywhere in the world to be released into the wild, into nature, um, without any, you know, without any regulations or monitoring with the intention of spreading and contaminating its native wild relatives, right? So people are concerned about bringing back the wild American chestnut. Well, the genetically engineered chestnut could very well replace the wild American chestnut. That incredible evolutionary history and heritage of the American chestnut could be lost forever if these genetically engineered chestnuts are released into the forest because they are not wild American chestnuts. They are genetically engineered chestnuts. And, uh, you, you know, they did not evolve over time and in the ecosystems. The ecosystems do not know how to respond to these genetically engineered trees with these trans, these new transformations. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really serious issue from the perspective of precedent. If this unprecedented event is allowed to move forward, releasing genetically engineered trees into the wild to spread and contaminate, this could set a precedent for all kinds of GMOs that could be then released into the environment under the guise of conservation or protection of whatever. And I, I mean, that's just, it's extremely dangerous. So there's the precedent issue that we need to be concerned about. In addition, as you said, it's not just in the U.S., it's elsewhere. And even with the connect, even with the genetically engineered chestnut, I want, one thing I wanted to mention is it doesn't respect boundaries, right? It's not going to stay within the the boundaries of the United States just because the USDA said <clears throat> it's okay to grow here. It's very likely going to contaminate other American chestnut trees in Canada. And the variety of American chestnut tree that's found in Canada um, is actually considered an endangered species in Canada. And the Canadian Chestnut Council, which is trying to restore the American, the American chestnut in Canada, is very concerned about this genetically engineered tree um, pollen or seeds getting across the Canadian border and contaminating their their remnant population of American chestnuts. So, you know, the, the Canadian groups that are working on restoration of the chestnut are very worried about this GE chestnut being approved. But it's a uh, it's not thus just this chestnut. This chestnut would be a door opener for the other GE trees, which includes, as I mentioned earlier, genetically engineered poplar trees, which are being developed in a variety of places. But most um, aggressively, I'd say they're being developed at Oregon State University um, by a researcher named Steve Strauss. And uh, he's working with a an organization, a startup, a pop-up in the Bay Area that wants to create genetically engineered poplar trees ex exclusively or explicitly rather for carbon offset forestry plantations. And like I said earlier, carbon offset forestry is this bogus accounting system that says that trees can absorb fossil carbon that's been released into the atmosphere, which is just not true. There's no science behind it at all, but it sounds nice. So, you know, people like to like to believe it's possible. Um, but anyway, so that the, there's genetically engineered poplar trees being developed for commercial purposes. There are genetically engineered pine trees, uh, radiata pine trees, loblolly pine trees, mainly that are being developed both in the United States and in Latin America as timber trees predominantly. Um, then there are also eucalyptus trees, as I mentioned earlier, being developed uh, for faster growth, for reduced lignin, for 
herbicide tolerance and a variety of other traits. And those would be those would be my primarily for um, pulp and paper production, but also potentially for biomass uh, wood pellet production. So, you know, there's a lot of research going on. It's mostly in Brazil and the United States. Those are the two countries leading the research right now. But there is some research going on in Europe. There is some research going on in South Africa. Um, but it's the United States and Brazil that we're most concerned about where the research is really being pushed hard by industry. And this American chestnut, as I mentioned, is this GE American chestnut is unfortunately being used by the industry to open the doors to these other commercial trees. Right. Thank you. Anne Peterman, this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, our guest, Anne Peterman, executive director of the Global Justice Ecology Project. And we're discussing uh, the threat of the and the problems of re the possible release of genetically engineered trees into wild forests here in the United States. And Peterman, I wanted to ask you about um, this international outfit, the Forest Stewardship Council um, and what their position is. They're, they're headquartered in, in, in Germany. And tell us the role that they play. And I know they, they met um, last fall in, in Bali, uh, Indonesia. And I wondered what came out of that what came out of that conference, uh, Peterman? Yeah, the Forest Stewardship Council was founded in, I believe, the early 90s, if I'm not mistaken. I could have that year wrong. But anyway, it was founded with the idea that that plantation forestry should be overseen, that the production of pulp and paper trees should be overseen by a body that tries to make sure that they're environmentally and socially sustainable. So the Forest Stewardship Council, that was its original mission. And as early as 20 plus years ago, one of their fundamental principles was no genetically engineered trees in their, in their uh, certified plantations, no genetically engineered trees or tree product could be could have the FSC certification on it. And that has been a major roadblock to the development of commercial genetically engineered trees because the FSC is has a major share of the certified wood and wood product market. Um, so because they do, companies want their seal of approval. Uh, it opens up lots of markets for them. There's a lot of issues with the FSC about what they've decided is certified could be certified as sustainable and they're getting a lot of cr criticism from social justice groups environmental groups forest protection groups because of that indigenous groups because of that um but the one thing that they have done well is this genetically engineered tree ban and uh it's been really important for the campaign to keep ge trees from being commercialized uh, industry recognizes that. And so they have been working with these corporate funded researchers to try to pressure the FSC to overturn that ban. And they've, they have had very little success until they started calling it research. They want to do more research into GE trees to see what the possible effects could be. And the problem with that is once you crack that door open, once you have the FSC doing field trials of, and that's what they're talking about, the FSC itself doing field trials of genetically engineered trees, you have created a, a crack in that door, a crack in that, that ban on GE trees that could very easily be further and further wedged open. Um, so that's another ish area that the campaign is working on, trying to make sure that the FSC does not 
move forward with um, this uh, weakening of their ban on genetically engineered trees and tr making sure that the board does not move ahead with that. There's a lot of the FSC membership that is very concerned about GE trees that does not want that you know, fundamental principle that they've had for 20 years to be overturned. And many do not believe that the board has the power to do that. But the board is moving ahead anyway with this um, this learning process, as they call it. So that's a, that's an ongoing issue and an ongoing fight that's going on kind of simultaneous to this uh, GE American chestnut um, issue. So that's what's happening with the FSC. And um, that's an er another area that we hope people will check out the StopGETrees.org website to see what's going on. Right. And and, and we, we will uh, want you to let our listeners know how they could comment because the comment period uh, finishes up in just uh, two days uh, to be able to, to stop this release of GE trees into wild forests in the United States. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about uh, glyphosate and the role that that has played in relation to uh, GE trees, because we certainly know they've played a role in um, the GE crops and, and GE seeds. And um, Monsanto and Roundup, um, which I consider to be really evil, <laughs> just just tell us a bit about uh, glyphosate and the concerns about that in the development of um, the whole GE tree industry and Peterman. Right. Well, yes. So Monsanto, uh, Monsanto Chemical Company, biotechnology company, back in 1999, they formed a joint initiative with timber companies, International Paper, um, Midwest Vaco, uh, I forget who, Fletcher Challenge Forest out of New Zealand. They formed a, a, a um, a joint biotech forest biotechnology initiative that later went on to be called ArborGen. And the idea was that they would be creating these commercial GE trees that would be very, that would have similar traits to what we saw had seen in genetically engineered crop plants. So glyphosate resistance was what has been one of the biggest sellers for Monsanto and the biotechnology industry um, in crops, right? It's GMO soy, that's glyphosate resistant, GMO corn, that's glyphosate resistant, and so on. Uh, so, you know, Monsanto made a lot of money off of that. And as was predicted with um, by, by GMO, people who were concerned about GMO crops, the overuse of glyphosate, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that glyphosate tolerance was engineered into these crop plants increased the use of glyphosate 300 to 600% um, in many cases. That, you know, un, un, uh, with, without a doubt and without any other possibility really, led to the development of glyphosate resistant weeds right so the weeds have gotten so much of the uh, of the, the glyphosate exposure over so many generations that they have evolved resistance that which was predicted um so now what we have is companies chemical companies and biotechnology companies creating uh new crops that are resistant to a much more toxic chemical, uh, which is called dicamba, which has Agent Orange, the same components as Agent Orange. So, it, you know, we've gone from uh, from we've gone right into the fire there. Um, 
with these with the GMO crops. So we started with glyphosate resistance and now we've moved on to more toxic chemicals. And this they're and they're looking at the same model, the same failed model with trees. There as I mentioned earlier, Suzano Timber Company in Brazil, which is the largest timber company in Brazil and maybe the largest timber company in the world, um, has started developing these uh, glyphosate resistant eucalyptus trees. And we anticipate the exact same thing will happen. Uh, Brazil is already the largest user, single country user of agrochemicals in the world. And this is only going to make that worse. Um, we anticipate these eucalyptus plantations, if they actually start developing them, would be sprayed from the air, probably from helicopters and planes with glyphosate. Enormous quantities of it would end up in the water, in the soil. It would drift on the neighboring communities, causing contamination of, uh, you know, people's, people's uh, homes, people's crops. Um, children outside who are outside when the spraying happens this has happened with, with already with gmo soy and gmo corn and will easily happen again with if these ge eucalyptus trees are planted on mass as susanna as susanna hopes they will be so yeah it, they wanted to take the gmo traits that were in crops and apply them to trees that's the first one that they've done but they would also like to make trees that are insect resistant, you know, that trees that kill the insects to try to use them. Can you imagine what a disaster that would be? Um, they want to make trees that grow faster. They they want to make trees that are drought resistant. They want, you know, all of these different things that require manipulating the, the, the genetics of the tree in ways that cause unpredictable mutations that damage the genomes of the tree. And it, it's just... It's hard to explain just exactly how disastrous this direction of forestry, of the forestry industry is going to be for forests, for people, for wildlife and so on. Yeah, for, for all of us uh, living on this planet. And and Peter, maybe we just have about a minute or so, but just underscoring your point about insects. I read an article recently that said over 400,000 people a year die um, because of the disappearance of some insects. I mean, every part of nature uh, plays a role here. And Tom uh, Goldtooth of the Indigenous Environmental um, Network, he said that among Indigenous people, they consider these GE trees of having no spirit. I mean, you know, anybody who loves trees and who loves the forest know of the energy um, that that is there and the healing uh, that's there. One can only imagine what will happen, uh, not only above the ground, but underground as the trees have systems of supporting each other. And very quickly, tell us, how can people comment on this and, and try in the next um, couple of days um, to really stop this release into the wild forest of GE trees? What should they do, Ann Peterman? Sure. Yes, it's really important that people contact the USDA via their comment period and tell them that they should not allow these genetically engineered chestnut trees to be released into wild forests. And you can find out more information about how to do that on our website. The address is stopgetrees.org slash stop dash ge dash trees so it's uh pretty easy to remember and you'll find all the information you need there the link to the comment period more information about it and so on and i really appreciate margaret you're letting me let people know that so stop ge trees.org slash stop 
www.gmt.org/gmt-trainings. All righty. And Peterman, I'm afraid we're out of time. We're going to have to leave it there. We link with the Global Justice Ecology uh, website on the Sojourner Truth website as well. Thank you, Anne. Um, if you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives. Today's uh, show produced by me. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, our board up, uh, Gary Baca. Uh, Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.